Nation. I'm Jake. I'm here with Chase, Sirius, and Sam. And today we're going to chat about signing day, some of the surprises, uh, some of the fun recruits that we got today. And keep in mind, we're recording this at around 9 p.m. Eastern time on signing day. So if there's news after this, that's why we didn't talk about it. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Celebration Bowl. Strayus went out to Atlanta to see that game. And, yeah, we're also going to have a draft segment as well during this podcast. So without further ado, guys, let's talk about National Signing Day. What were your overall thoughts of the class, big takeaways, surprises, et cetera? Yeah, I can go ahead and get us started. I think it's, you know, overall pretty uninteresting, unremarkable signing day. I think everyone would agree that, you know, pretty much everything that we thought was going to happen happened and not any, you know, really great surprises happened. We didn't flip the guy out of Nebraska, which if we're being honest with ourselves was probably a bit of a long shot to begin with. But overall, you know, we have really phenomenal transfers coming in with Shador Sanders. Um, Vonta Bentley was someone who I was kind of surprised to see come our way, who I'm really excited to see. And, you know, I, I think thus far, it's really early. You know, you have an, a, a young coaching staff coming in. We only have 16 recruits. Um, but to have a pretty solid class with not even a full roster so far, I think just looking comparatively, and we can kind of get into the individual athletes as well, but comparatively just looking, you know, we're we're pretty in line with everyone else in the Pac-12 as far as recruits, obviously outside of, you know, the top four or five schools. But generally where we have been, we're already – you know, doing better than we did last year with only 16 recruits. I will say just really quickly before we kind of dig into our our specific recruiting class, Stanford's kind of interesting with a brand new head coach. They have four um, four stars coming in and a, a pretty solid class coming in at six overall um, after not even really having a spectacular head coaching hire. And so it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, there's a lot of things we have to wait and see. Hopefully we'll be getting some transfers that we're really counting on, but Overall, kind of a, a mild day, in my opinion. Not a, not a whole lot of surprises. Yeah, I think some of the big news is what didn't happen. Uh, Blake Purchase, for example, the big DE out of Cherry Creek, four-star recruit, decided to postpone his commitment to Friday. So we'll see what happens there in the next couple of days. And then the top DB in the nation, Cromani McLean, was committed to Miami, expected to sign today, and then backed out of that commitment. And there's rumors flying around that Coach Prime has made contact with him. And there was an on-three recruiting expert that basically crystal-balled him to CU. So I think those are two big news stories. And there were a couple small surprises today. And small, and a year ago, these would have not been small surprises. But Isaiah Jetta being one of those guys who visited CU, there wasn't a ton of smoke around him. But he was a great surprise, three-star, 87 grade on 247. But really quick, let me just go through the class to give a high-level overview of where we stand with the Pac-12 and our overall ranking. Everything's going to be coming from 247, just for context. And this class has an overall rank as of tonight, as of this evening, uh, signing day evening, of a 42 rank in the nation. Even more notably, the transfer rank is 14th. And right now, that is before, why am I blanking on his name? Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter, thank you. Um, that does include Shador. So 14th in the nation for transfer rank is pretty impressive. Uh, but this class is made up of uh, two four-stars, and I believe the rest are three-stars. Um, 
But yeah, just like you were saying, no, no big surprises. Uh, Sam, what are your kind of thoughts overall with the class? Yeah, I mean, just like you said, like, I thought the biggest takeaway was what didn't happen. I I was really expecting Travis Hunter to go right away and follow follow Dion here on day one. So I have a I have a few nerves in my body that he's considering other places to go and not follow not following Dion here to Colorado. And I I want to see him sign some big boys, some big interior D line, interior O line, because that's what wins you football games. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut in here. Honestly, I'm really happy with our O-line right now. We got some big boy transfers. Uh, Savion Washington from Kent State. I believe we were competing with Auburn for him. Obviously, we have the OC coming over from Kent State, so a lot of people pegged us to get Savion. But that's a big pickup. Um, Three-star, he's an 88 grade on 247, but he is a stud. Um, so I really like that pickup. We also got Landon Beebe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Uh, but he's also a three-star interior offensive lineman. I thought there was one more lineman. Oh, Hank Zelinkas, another three-star, 83-grade. So overall, I'm actually feeling okay about our O-line. Um, Landon Beebe, I know, was a was an all-conference guy, I think second team. Uh, he's coming out of Montana State, but I think he'll be pretty serviceable too as well. Missouri State. Or Missouri State, thank you. But yeah, I don't know. What do you what are you guys' thoughts on those guys? I think these guys are actually a really good fit for the for the Sean Lewis offense. I think they're they're big maulers that are designed to go fast. And I think, you know, more than having just pure sides, which these guys are huge, by the way. So that's not a, a downside at all, in my opinion. But you you need guys that can run the kind of offense that we're planning on bringing. And and I think an offense that's really gonna suit well for Shadour's, you know, game overall. And so I actually think these are really exciting guys to have coming in, um, you know, keeping the the hometown kid home um, out of Cherry Creek High School is is really exciting as well. It's something that Colorado has to do a better job of moving forward and keeping those kids home. And so it's exciting to see him, you know, pick the buffs. He's not the highest rated guy, but he's, you know, he's won a state championship down there at Cherry Creek. Um, He knows how to get it done. So I think, you know, if we're being honest, the transfers are going to make the biggest impact immediately. But, you know, getting those kinds of guys, um, in through the portal is going to be really helpful as far as getting size really quickly. Um, now to Sam's point, I would love to see us pick up some more size on the defensive line. Um, we picked up Alston today um, out of West Virginia. Who's, you know, an edge guy. He's not exactly huge, but he's someone that is kind of interesting. You know, he's six, five, but he's two thirty three, So he could definitely add a little bit more to his frame. I think overall that's the area on the defensive line where I'd love to see us get a little bit more size, but you know, bringing in a linebacker out of Clemson, um, Vonta Bentley, who's huge. Um, those kinds of things are going to make a really big difference for us. And having having that high, getting high quality plant players to the transfer portal is just the easiest way to turn a program around just like that. That you can have a great recruiting class, but they're all going to be freshmen. If you can bring in high quality players that can play as juniors, seniors, fifth years, you can go out there and turn, like just look at USC. The USC just brought in a bunch of transfers and they were, one game away from being in the tight in the CF in the playoff. Yeah, that's a that's a good point about transfers potentially making a bigger difference than even higher recruited straight out of high school guys. Uh, I, I can't remember what the exact ranking was, but I don't think Carl Durrell's last class was actually that lowly ranked. It wasn't one of those 60, 70 uh class ranks. It was I, I want to say it was in the 30s or 40s. I might be wrong, but um my recollection is it wasn't horrible, but 
everything was stacked really poorly for the 2022 season where we were loaded with freshmen and sophomores at, at most redshirt freshmen who maybe were, were COVID sophomores who got the extra year of eligibility. And even from, even from the first game, we'll say starting the second half against TCU. And then it was very apparent against air force and Minnesota. You could see that, that youth and even the national announcers, since all three of those games were nationally televised, they all pointed it out. And you could see that the inexperience was, was really being exposed by, especially Minnesota, extremely experienced team that was full of fifth or sixth year, in some cases, seniors. So how that pertains to this particular signing day, I, I agree with everything y'all are saying about this being kind of chalk, uh, nothing, nothing particularly unexpected that got me out of my seat. I did like the pickup of the wide receiver from Georgia, Adam Hopkins. I was going to say, we got to give him a shout out. That was the big surprise. Four star stud. Uh, I think yeah. it was good size, six foot, uh, 91 rating on 247. I guess the broader point that I want to get at is the skill positions are not alone what concern me. And I think that a lot of the a lot of the excitement with the five-star guys are are typically in the skill position areas like the the defensive backs and the wide receivers and the running backs and the quarterbacks of the world. But to me, that hasn't even been the area where CU has lacked in the last 20 years, the area that we've lacked specifically more than anything else, even though we have had individual talent on the offensive line is the offensive line behaving as a collective and pulling together for a particular scheme and blocking to that scheme and executing to that scheme. And what I like about this class is bringing in the transfers that have familiarity with our offensive coordinator and the way that he runs his offense bringing in Savion Washington in particular. That's a really good pickup because you have knowledge on how that scheme is run. And I think I touched on this in the first episode as well. That's one of the things that excites me most about this new offensive coordinator is the fact that he is has a specific scheme. If this class ends up being in the 40s or 50s, that's about where I would have expected it to be. Uh, that, that wouldn't be a particularly surprising thing to me. Um, I'm personally not expecting a massive first year turnaround for the buffs people a lot of people are really underestimating how bad they really were this year it it wasn't just that they were bad it's that they were the worst team in fbs so we're talking about starting from the very very bottom so given that expectation from my side and what i saw here it's fully expect this to be a rebuilding year but i do expect to see some cohesiveness especially on the offensive blocking side of the ball. And I think that this class at least gets me optimistic about that side. I just had to have to comment on that. I think we'll for sure be a top 40 class right now. We're ranked 42nd and sure there's going to be other teams that are going to pick up recruits, but I mean, we have Deion Sanders and for this first signing period, he was coaching with the bus for two weeks, kind of splitting time with Jackson state. So I think we're, we're going to improve our overall rank, but we'll see how, how it takes out. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think, you know, as far as immediate impact goes, and maybe this is a little bit to counter what Sreyas is saying, is that, you know, you can have skill guys like, you know, Dylan Edwards or Adam Hopkins come in and make an immediate impact because you can be undersized in those positions and beat people with, you know, flash and finesse where just pure skill can win. 
but it's really hard to get, you know, we're, we're talking Savion Washington's coming in at six foot eight, 340 pounds. And so that's where I really think the transfer portal makes a huge difference because you can't just go bring in an 18 year old kid necessarily who's going to have that kind of size where you can just maul people over um, in a Pac-12 program. And so that's what's really exciting for me is that, you know, bringing in these these O-line guys, you know, six foot three, 295, six foot eight, 340 for your for your interior of your line. That's going to make a really big difference really quickly as far as, you know, being the bully, the bully instead of the bullied. And so I, you know, I really do think that that's where transfers are going to be best set. I don't, you know, I, I've always thought that if you're a defensive back in the country, you're going to want to come play for Deion Sanders. But what I was more worried about is finding the guys that are going to have the size to be able to run the scheme on offense that we want to run. And uh, I, I think it's really promising to see that kind of stuff come through. I'm not saying that we're going to be, you know, uh, an eight and four team next year. I'm not even saying we're going to be a six and six team next year. I'm just saying that for making a turnaround happen quickly, the place it really has to start in the transfer portal, at least is on the line. Chase, I totally agree with you on that one. And I'll also point out one big area that we're going to very quickly and immediately and obviously improve is quarterback. So I know we'd been taking that for granted now for the the last several weeks since the pretty ceremonious crowning of our new quarterback before he was even in the transfer portal. <laughs> but And we'll get to this when we talk about the Celebration Bowl, of course. But Shadur Sanders is unbelievably poised. If there's a quarterback that I would trust more behind a bad offensive line, I haven't I haven't found it. He stood in there while Jackson State's offensive line was a total sieve. They they completely fell apart in that game and they did they did very little to help out. And he just you could you could just see the confidence that he had just snapping the ball. There was no rush in him. He wasn't rushing any of his any of his decisions. He wasn't staring down receivers, which is surprising when you have targets like Kevin Coleman, who fingers crossed, we don't know where he's going to end up either. Um, and Travis Hunter playing both sides of the ball. It's amazing how having options like that could easily make you just stare down your receivers like Steven Montez did, despite how talent, talented he was. But he just showed so much poise and such good instincts back there. I was very, very impressed. That was my first time seeing him play for an entire game. And the fact that we're bringing him in kind of puts us into potentially a different category than what I was just saying earlier about how the 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 slow buildup, despite having maybe some flashy skill position players come in, might make this a, a disappointing season for some who are expecting an instant turnaround. But Shadur Sanders, very, very impressive. That's probably one of the biggest pickups we've had and probably will have no matter who else we get. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you could watching that celebration bowl game, you could just tell he is poised in the pocket. He's very methodical. I mean, he drove down the field at the end of the game there and tied it up. With such poise, he was not worried at all. It was something truly, really refreshing to see as a CU fan. Just the way like the ball came off his hand, he throws a nice tight spiral. He's the full package, right? He's got wheels as well. I'm very excited to see what he can do at CU. Totally. Uh, and I think that the, the point that a lot of people aggressively tried to drive home who are detractors of Jackson state and, and coach prime and now CU and maybe CU even before is that he was playing against FCS competition. And I, I understand that perspective, but 
when you play against FCS competition, you also have to remember that there are certain positions on your team that are also FCS level. And I thought that the way that his offensive line in front of him completely broke down was highly indicative of an FCS quality performance. Even if they had played better the rest of the season, they totally broke down in that game. And he still stood in there and made some amazing throws and amazing plays. So we're all really excited to have him. And he could be uh, he could be the person that makes a big difference here more than anyone else. And he should hopefully have more weapons at CU. Um, we talked a little bit about some of the skill guys that we got, but I want to talk a little bit about Dylan Edwards. He is a speed demon. Uh, I think he runs a 4-3-40. And man, I was watching his highlight tape, and is he explosive? As soon as he gets the ball, you don't know where he's going to go, and he just picks his hole and runs right through it. And his speed is just on a whole nother level. He's probably one of the guys I'm most excited for to come to see you. Yeah, we kind of talked about this in the first episode as well, but it just he his vision is incredible. He's got actually really good hands. I don't know if you saw this on his tape, Jake, but you know, half the time he's a punt returner or, you know, playing in the slot at wide receiver. And so to have a guy that can hurt you in so many different ways behind Shador is going to be incredible, right? Because Shador, I mean, you have to anticipate um, you know, he's going to be all over the all over the field. Um, and then you have Dylan Edwards there as well. You know, we, we take that for granted because he committed kind of immediately after the um, Deion Sanders announcement, you know, coach prime announcement. But at the end of the day, that's one of the biggest pickups in our class. Um, he's kind of the, the crown jewel so far. Um, obviously we'd love to have Travis Hunter, um, you know, or, or really any of the Jackson state guys follow along, but, you know, as far as like huge flips, I mean, that was the biggest one that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Taking him from Notre Dame was, was not a small deal. And that's, that's definitely a big part of our class. Yeah. Not to look too far ahead, but some of these flips, even in the short time that he's officially been our head coach makes me think that the real season where you'll see the impact in terms of team recruiting rankings and filling out a class that has a game changing level of talent that could raise this program to another level that we haven't seen in many years is probably 2024. That's probably the season where we're going to see the big, big difference makers on signing day that are going to be eye popping. And not all of that is going to be out of high school. A lot of that could very well be people who are currently on the fence who might, everyone's going to be in the transfer portal. We know that like in the, in the new college football world, the transfer portal is the new recruiting pipeline. So people, I, I suspect that a lot of, a lot of players are slightly skeptical they're they're thinking, yeah, this is Dion, this is that Deion Sanders, and he's that guy, but he's going to Colorado, which, my goodness, if you've been following the Pac-12, or even if you haven't been following the Pac-12, you've been following the bottom ten on ESPN, you know where we've been, you know where we've been, and so there's obviously got to be some consternation when your entire future, if you consider yourself to be a next level player, you feel like it could be in jeopardy. Uh, I do expect, though, based on what we what we're seeing here for that 2024 class, to be that big potential jump, where you're all of a sudden turning heads and saying, "Whoa, why are why is CU pulling that guy?" Uh, not to say it couldn't happen in this class too. Some of the discussions about you know the the top DB we did mention him earlier, uh, Cormani McLean. 
So guys like that, if they flip, that that's definitely a head turner. But I suspect that we'll see a lot more of this next season. One other guy I wanted to quickly talk about is Tajay McCoy. He is a edge guy, so defensive lineman out of Oklahoma City, six foot three, two hundred forty five pounds. But he is a beast, and he is very raw. He's only played two years of high school football. Two four seven just bumped up his his uh, player ranking. I think it was at a at a low eighty score, and now it's at an eighty eight score. But he has offers from Oklahoma State, Vanderbilt, and Baylor. And he's a guy that I think really flew under the radar, and he's someone that I think can make a, an immediate impact. Um, so with that, let's bounce back to recruiting. Just wrap up that conversation really quick. Um, guys, do you have any any additional thoughts? I will say Sam brought up uh, Travis Hunter, and he posted if he was going to reach 100,000 followers on YouTube that he would post his commitment. And that makes me think it's going to be CU because he doesn't have time to visit anywhere else. Sure, he visited places in high school, but – that gives me a little bit more confidence that he's hopefully going to come here. Hopefully I didn't just jinx it. Um, but yeah, do you guys have any, any thoughts, any other thoughts on, on recruiting? Yeah. I, I think uh, to your Travis Hunter point that, 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 I mean, that would be the the crown jewel. Um, obviously if we can flip that other cornerback, I mean, our, our secondary would be lethal. Right. But I think for Travis Hunter, it comes down to, you know, how close is his relationship with Deion Sanders or does he want to go try to go win a you know national championship with Georgia? Um, that's really where I see him flipping if he does. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where it would be really awesome if we get him. This, the CU fan of me likes to essentially assume that the worst is going to happen and wait to be proven wrong. But I, I really hope that that's someone that we're able to ha- to land. He would be far and away the most exciting prospect to come into Colorado. Um, you know, frankly, and, and Strayus, you know, we can kind of talk about the, the celebration bowl as well, but it seems like he's playing cornerback. He's playing wide receiver. You know, he, he does it all. He's so talented that he can beat you anywhere. So um, I, I really hope you're right. It would make a lot of sense that if he's actually going to commit today, that'd be the case. I was kind of hoping that that'd be breaking news that we could talk about on the podcast, but it's not looking very likely. So um, yeah, I mean, certainly exciting and, and hopefully it goes our way, but you never know. Yeah. We'll yeah. have to see where we land with these transfers. So, Ace, did you have any final thoughts, or do you want to move on to the celebration ball? Yeah, I guess the the final thought is, I really hope we get Travis Hunter, and we will definitely talk about him more at at nauseum because he was such an important part of that celebration ball. But I'll also point out that our terrible twenty twenty one team had Christian Gonzalez, who's going to be a first round um, cornerback in the NFL. We had Makai Blackman, who is first-team All-Pac-12 with USC. And we had Mark Perry, who's a safety on playoff-bound TCU. But hold that on. Was those, our those guys are all freshmen, right? Back no. in 2014? Or were no, they sophomores? I'm, I'm talking about 2021. The terrible 4-8 team in 2021. Wasn't Christian all of those guys. a freshman? Or am I wrong? He was a, he was a sophomore. He wasn't okay. even a freshman. He wasn't even a freshman. He was a sophomore. We And then Makai Blackman was a senior. Mark Perry was a senior. And they both got extra years of eligibility. So the reason I bring this up is this is another sign that the skill positions alone don't make a defense because that defense was still really bad. So Travis Hunter would be a total game changer, but Christian Gonzalez is also going to – I mean, he's going to go to the NFL. He's going to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. 
And he made some huge plays for us. And he was part of the reason why we even won four games versus winning one game last year as well. But I'll point out that it's not, it's not necessarily alone going to move the needle. And we're going to look back on that 2021 secondary and hit our heads because there was so much talent there and it all left in the transfer portal. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the reason that that team didn't go one and 11 and instead won four games though can be, you know, it, it's a lot of that is talent. Right. And, and I think as we saw in 2016, that the secondary was the strength of that team, no doubt. Right. Like the money gang back then, um, you know, I, I think having a, a strong secondary, particularly in the PAC 12 where teams are constantly trying to beat you over the top, that's, that's a big difference maker. And I think, you know, more than any other recruit other than maybe the liner, you know, obviously quarterback with Shador is going to be a huge difference. Right. But, you know, other than maybe quarterback, the only position that you can really immediately upgrade your team overnight is, is at cornerback, especially when you can tie down a team's best offensive threat. Now, obviously teams like USC and Oregon are going to have threats literally everywhere across the board, but you know, that makes a big difference and that's a a great step in the right direction. So, you know, I, I think we're all, in agreement that you know he's definitely very important for for making the team better but um certainly will not make the team better all by himself it's just one of those it would be really exciting to see colorado finally get someone that's as talented as he is uh, it'd be the first time that happens in a very long time yeah for sure so next up let's talk a little bit about the celebration bowl Soreus was able to make the trip down to atlanta for the game Soreus, can you just talk to your overall experience and and your overall thoughts on the game yeah, sure. So that was a, that was an interesting trip for me because I was obviously very excited about the, the coach prime announcement. And I thought to myself, Hmm, he has one more game left over there. I've never been to a bowl game because the last time, last two times he has been to a bowl game. One was during COVID and it didn't make the trip down to the Alamo bowl. And then 2016, I happened to be out of country for the, for that Alamo bowl. Of course, I didn't miss particularly good Alamo Bowls either of those years, but I'd always wanted to go see a bowl game, and I thought that HBCU football would have been the perfect opportunity to go see it because it, it is a very unique environment and a very cool environment. So I decided I would just go. You know, I had I had friends who were who were in the area, but none of them were able to to make it. So I just kind of was able to go on my own and just take in the ambiance and go check out Atlanta, which is actually a really cool city that I hadn't been to before. So without getting into details on, you know, my visit to the College Football Hall of Fame and things like that, I'm sure we'll get to it. The game itself was just an incredible experience. I was in a section that was mixed between uh, NC Central fans and Jackson State fans. Uh, However, in addition to that, there were representatives from every SWAC HBCU school that I could think of. And and I, I saw... Uh, Alcorn State paraphernalia. I saw South Carolina State. I saw uh, Alabama State. It was it was really a, a melting pot of the entire swack. And I, I actually understand the name Celebration Bowl a little bit better now. It felt like a, a celebration of HBCU football, and the the culture of what I experienced in that game was definitely definitely unique. It felt more like. It's not that people weren't into the game. People were very into the game, but people were just very genuinely happy to be there and connect with each other. Even rivals, even though NC Central and Jackson State, Jackson State totally had a target on their back all season, right? Being that they were getting all the attention and then they had all of the the media and they had the 
the college game day come and they had the the undefeated record and all the talk about flipping four and five star recruits. But I didn't sense, I didn't sense jealousy uh, amongst the fans that I saw there. I just saw a bunch of people who are excited to be a part of this game and willing to come, ready to come together as a HBCU and SWAT collective to, to uplift their, uplift their teams. So that alone made the experience worth it. Getting to hear the amazing renditions of the national anthem and lift every voice and sing. So they also played that uh, right after the national anthem and everyone was singing along to that as well. And it, it was just an amazing experience overall. On the game side, that was actually even better. Just in terms of the pure excitement of the back and forth of the games, my goodness. It, it, it was just a, a slugfest. It was an offensive slugfest. You, you could see that the NC Central team was extremely motivated, and they came into the game with a chip on their shoulder. And the biggest thing that stood out to me, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is that they're dominating in the trenches. They really dominated both sides of the trenches. Their defensive line was basically plowing through Jackson State's offensive line. And their offensive line was opening up big holes for their running backs and their quarterback. The quarterback was making plays. And at one point in the first half, it really looked like NC Central was going to kind of take hold of that game and run away just from how much they were dominating the line of scrimmage. But the, the, the great equalizer in this case, and I guess this goes back to a point that Chase was making earlier, the skill position players did completely keep Jackson State in that game because their, their skill position guys are just unbelievable. Kevin Coleman and Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders, the, the level of talent that we saw from them, just the raw talent was shocking. It was incredible. Well, and, and, tra- and really quickly, Strayas, just to jump in, you know, you talk about North Carolina dominating the line of scrimmage. They had 276 yards of rushing, um, which is just like unfathomable. And then, you know, just really quickly to get the stats out there, you have Shadur Sanders throwing for th- almost 350 yards, four touchdowns. Um, and then you have, you know, Kevin Coleman Jr., who will hopefully be coming to Colorado, um, 137 yards receiving with a touchdown, um, as well as Travis Hunter with two touchdowns, despite only having four receptions and 47 yards. And, and obviously – playing pretty much the entire game in the secondary as well. So, you know, the, the guys that were hoping to come to Colorado with just outrageous stats, uh, but I mean, 276 yards rushing kind of demonstrates, you know, if you're, if you're getting bullied in the trenches, um, you know, that is the epitome of, I can't even remember the last time I saw 276 yards rushing in any context, other than maybe Khalil Tate from Arizona a couple <laughs> years ago. Yeah. I knew you were going to bring up Khalil Tate, <laughs> but, but the other thing that I'll point out is uh, Sevion Wilkerson, the running back, his numbers weren't that bad overall, but he had a lot of tackles for loss and no gain type place. So even though it was 15, 15 carries for 52 yards total, there were a lot of negative plays and there were a lot of neutral plays where there was no, there was just no movement of the ball. A lot of that was just playmaking on its own. So yeah, it, it just really speaks to the to how much uh, NC Central dominated the line of scrimmage. I'll also point out before I forget that Travis Hunter started off that game with absolutely brutal stretch on both sides of the ball. So in the very first NC Central drive, he got torched for probably about a 42 yard gain, and you know fortunately he made up for it and was able to get a big third down stop later in that drive that that held them to a field goal, but. That was not something I was expecting to see, to see uh, 
a, a five-star recruit getting burned against a FCS offense. But then subsequently, he also had a huge fumble in that game where they were they actually put him in as a running back or they ran a, a play where he was he got a rush and he maybe wasn't expecting to get hit when he did and he just basically the ball ended up flying straight over his head and it was it was kind of one of those ugly fumbles that you you really don't want to see um but boy did he make up for it he had some of the he made one of the nastiest moves i've ever seen a wide receiver make on defensive back for his first touchdown and then his second touchdown literally as time expired on fourth and 15 or whatever it was fourth and and long um my goodness it was just a, it was just incredible it was incredible I, and i understand people are going to say talent deficit this talent deficit that but you still have to go out there and make plays and he and he made up for a really rough start in the biggest way possible and i was blown away yeah, what'd you guys think of those those trick plays? Like that that punt, that fake punt. Do you think like do you think part of that's on coaching and Dion? Or do you think they just well execution on the other side? It looked like great execution to me. Uh that that fake punt was amazing. That was just an it was an awesome fake punt. And the other thing is they were dominating the line of scrimmage so much, and they probably recognized that that all you need to do is make, you just need to make a couple key blocks and they, they did. And that ended up becoming a massive play. Um, typically teams with a talent deficit who are highly motivated and want to step up to the plate. They'll call plays like that. You even saw towards the end of the season, even though CU is still getting blown out in that Utah game, they tried to call all sorts of weird trick plays. Like that's not unusual. Um, but in this case, the talent deficit, uh, on the skill positions is not something that's necessarily going to be seen on uh, the execution or I should say the stopping of a trick play like that. So I don't see that as a, as negative coaching attribute to, to coach prime and his staff. But what do you think, Chase? No, I agree. I, I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, in a big game, I, you know, the one that comes to mind is a long time ago. I can't remember if it was the Colts or the bears in the Super Bowl did an onside kick that you would normally never do coming right out of halftime. Right. Like I, I'm not super concerned about anything like that. I don't think it's a lack of preparedness or anything. I just think it's, it's one of those things that a, a team will do when they're facing a, a deficit like that, where they, they try to do a gimmicky thing. And I, I think you're absolutely hit the nail on the head there. Grace. Grace, I just quickly want to get your play by play just with the last few minutes of, of regulation especially that last play, the the deep throw to Travis Hunter. What was the stadium like leading up to that play, during the play, and then going into overtime? It was electric. It was absolutely electric. And I would say that the electricity started with the NC Central fans. NC Central fans showed up and they showed out for that game. They were really motivated. They were, they were in plenty of numbers. It wasn't a Jackson State overwhelmingly partisan crowd. There were a lot of NC Central fans there that made the trip out, and they were electric. There was a timeout with le- I feel like there was a, a TV timeout with less than a minute left, and they were they were loud and proud about their team the entirety of that timeout, and they were ready they were ready to to win that game. But I think everyone in the whole stadium 
when Travis Hunter made that play, when Shadur, Shadur Sanders had a couple amazing scrambles and he had another fourth down conversion on that same drive that were just incredible, absolutely incredible. And you could see everyone in the stadium was like, oh, oh, that's amazing. Oh, I can't believe it. It's almost like even if you're NC Central, you're game recognized game type deal, right? When you see when you see talent like that and you see talent like that execute and step up to the plate like there that was not that was the opposite of choking right they were in a this, those skill position guys were in a tough position and they just stepped up to the plate with every bit of their will and might to make some some plays happen and so there was a lot of a lot of celebration and understanding about what they're witnessing as well on that side so it was just it was fantastic it was amazing to be there in that environment and i think that think that a lot of the folks saw the video that I took from the crowd from from the crowd um that was posted on the Folsom Frenzy Pod Twitter account and yeah it was just uh, it was an incredible electric environment yeah and and Sreyas, I know you and I have both been now to the College Football Hall of Fame down there in Atlanta I know we're about to move on um to a different segment but I think for me at least and I'm curious what your thoughts on this are I was astounded by, I know that Colorado has a great history and that, you know, during those, those primetime years, we were, we were, you know, excellent, but it's always astounding to me how big of a place Colorado has in the college, you know, after years and years of being kind of the doormat of the PAC 12 and kind of made fun of on Reddit CFB and all those places it was for me, at least really cool to go there and see how big of a role Colorado has in that hall of fame, how many people we have in the hall of fame, you know, the, the, different players and you know there was Sean Salam um I don't I don't want to call it a shrine but the, the you know the shadow box about Rashawn Salam that they have there um I I've always thought that that was incredibly cool you know kind of what was your takeaway from that yeah I was I was in the same boat as you Chase I I knew that Colorado had a storied history and just walking through the Champion Center and seeing all the hardware there is a reminder of that back on CU's campus but being at the College Football Hall of Fame and having that perspective of how many CU players have made it to the Hall of Fame, you know, Rashawn Salam making it this year. So he did. Yeah, he had a little shrine essentially for him in the new inductees room and seeing that there is other areas where CU is represented. If I remember correctly, they have the Miracle at Michigan, um, like a little special thing for that as well. And obviously Byron Wizard White, um, who who in my opinion is the greatest Colorado graduate ever, you know, to go NFL to Supreme court to um, I believe he served in the military for a while. I mean, the man did it all right. So just to have those kinds of guys representing the university at the highest levels. And obviously, you know, for anyone who's listening to this, the college football hall of fame is an absolute must visit. You know, if you're interested enough in college football or at least Colorado football to be listening to this podcast, if you ever find yourself in Atlanta, um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And if I remember correctly, it's not particularly expensive to visit either. No, it's uh, probably twenty five bucks, something like that. It's it was totally worth it, you know, for me. So the the person I was thinking of was John Wooten. He had a whole speech about leadership that was just there that you could just start playing the speech and you walk by it. Uh, yeah, the miracle at Michigan. There was multiple areas where that came up. They're they're showing a a video that was just showing retrospective of the greatest moments in college football over the last four or five decades, and that will always show up in the nineties version of that. It was an iconic play with uh, Cordell Stewart, who ended up being a, a, a great NFL player himself. And Michael Westbrook, who himself is in the hall of fame of college football. So 
it's just a great perspective to see how historic and well represented University of Colorado is at that College Football Hall of Fame and really hope that we can continue that legacy because yes, we just had another inductee this year, but we're running out of people from the nineties who are inductable. <laughs> so we're going to start needing to, to get some new guys in there soon. Otherwise we, we might start fading away a little bit. And I, I get the feeling that our relevance in the national football hall of fame is because of our national relevance 30 years ago. Um, and we're fine. We're at the point now where that is st- maybe starting to peter off. So I'll enjoy having that perspective when it existed. And I'm hoping that we start getting some more of that soon. Yeah. Other than uh, Cody Hawkins, who's an absolute lock for the hall of fame. It's hard to see any uh, other future Colorado players getting in there. And I'm just 100% kidding about Cody Hawkins. First ballot. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, we'll go ahead. I'm I'm just going to do, you know, we, we couldn't even pick our unhinged tweet of the week um, because there was just so many phenomenal people from this group sending out tweets that were just beyond unhinged. So we will be awarding this week's unhinged tweet of the week to the entirety of the University of Nebraska fan base. Uh, just a few highlights to throw out there. We had uh, Logan Baker tweet out, throw a car on the practice field and hope it works. That's your philosophy. Cute. Didn't realize commitments are based off of those who have the nicest cars. Uh, it's funny because Logan probably is just not aware how NIL works or the fact that that's just part of the game now or the fact that Nebraska is so unbelievably uncool with Matt Rule that um, that that's not even something that they thought of. The other one that we'll go ahead and mention before we move on is another Nebraska fan, uh, Tellerico uh, T- Husker, who said, why don't you go visit some recruits in their homes for a change? Oh, wait, you're too good to go out in the recruiting trail and actually do some work, which is only amusing to me in the fact that people are so excited about our coach, Deion Sanders, that they're willing to come out to Boulder um, and, and check it out in all of its greatness rather than have Matt Rule go in and wear pajamas with the recruits mom or whatever garbage he's been doing lately so uh just a huge shout out to our award-winning nebraska well Corn i Husker think that friends. that second one is especially hilarious because Dion was busy at jackson state coaching them in the celebration bowl and he couldn't do in-home visits so just this right. oblivious nebraska fan yeah and was... that rule naturally was available because he was fired because he was so bad at his job in the nfl so <laughs> you know he had that going for him as well yeah I don't I don't even think I don't think it's anything more than jealousy to be honest with you. I think that the the fact that Nebraska fans their their football team is basically their entire lives and has taken meaning beyond the sport of football to them that they see a school that they perceive to be or or they claim to be a non-rival, sorry, but was a historic rival of theirs suddenly having all this national attention. And yeah, you know, as a CU fan, I, I think I touched on this earlier. I'm I ha- I have tempered expectations, right? I, I've I've been beaten down for long enough to know not to to get my let my hopes get up too high. But at the same token, we are in an exciting time and we should be excited. And so it is funny that other people see that excitement as in, in a source of intimidation. And I think Coach Prime puts it best when he says, don't let my confidence offend your insecurity. Yeah, come on, Nebraska. Don't let our confidence offend your insecurity. That's all I'm saying. With that, let's move into our last segment of the podcast. Guys, let's talk CU basketball. We've kind of neglected talking about basketball just because there hasn't been a ton of games and we're not in the conference schedule yet. But a huge, huge milestone uh, occurred today. Tad Boyle is now the winningest coach in CU history. He just grabbed win 262 
and pass. Russell Sox Wall said, guys, what are your thoughts on, on Tad Boyle passing that milestone? You know, this is kind of a, a running argument that I've had with you, Jake, for years. But, um, you know, for people that don't have perspective like Jake about how historically absolutely awful the University of Colorado has been in basketball, um, we are just incredibly lucky to have Tad Boyle. He has taken a program. And uh, keep in mind, people like with the names of Sox, Walseth, weren't even playing the same game, right? He's a, he's a CU great, and I don't want to take anything away from him. But, you know, when you're breaking records of guys whose names start with Sox, um, you know, that's the kind of guy who is uh, so outdated that it was just a totally different game when he was coaching at Colorado, right? You know, obviously we named the court after him, and he's he's phenomenal. But, you know, Tad Boyle came in and has been a consistent leader who has taken a absolutely dumpster fire, embarrassing team, um, you know, and over the course of, geez, I don't even know how many years he's been here, um, you know, to it's over a 12. decade. Yeah, he's in his 12th yeah. season. Um, so to come in and to, you know, get guys in the league and to be consistently performing at such a high level and, you know, and it's still exciting, right? He has his best rated recruiting class ever coming in. Um, it's one of those things that Colorado is incredibly lucky to have Tad, um, you know, obviously a lot of people that detract from him. And, and you know, I think this is fair criticism say that, you know, he's gotten us kind of as high as he's ever going to be able to get us. But the fact that he's able to get us as a as a fairly consistent, um, you know, tournament team or, or fringe tournament team, as well as with the talent and the development that we've had, um, you know, he's incredible. And so a huge congratulations to Tad, who, you know, I'm sure is a diehard listener to our podcast. Um, but, you know, it just what an incredible milestone. And, you know, obviously it wasn't you know, Southern Utah is not exactly the flashiest of teams to break that record with, but, you know, it's, it's, he's been an excellent steward for the university and, and congratulations to him, the basketball team. And, and frankly, you know, our, our, our season's been thus far kind of underwhelming, but hopefully something that they'll be able to make something out of this team, even if it is just an NIT run. All right. I have to respond to that because he's called me out here. Um, yes, it's true. I have been very critical of Tad Boyle at, at times, but today I'm not, there's no place for that. He is now officially CU's winningest coach. I'm sure later on in later podcast episodes, you'll get my hot takes with the basketball team. But I mean, today's the day to celebrate. Tad Boyle is the best coach in CU history. And that's a fact now. Uh, also, just a little, another quick fact is that took Russell Walseth 20 seasons to get to 261 that got him i think it was 12 seasons where he just passed that record so he did it a lot faster than russell walseth did so kudos to tad he's really transformed this program from nothing into something so every cu fan has has him to thank thrace you're laughing what are your comments you're gonna slander socks by calling him russell really yeah, Dang, sorry. man, that is a sorry, great, man. that's a CU grade. His name's, or a court's named after him. Come on, man. <laughs> no, no, but in all seriousness, looking at Tad Boyle's accomplishments, despite CU's ridiculously, ridiculously embarrassing history with basketball. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize how bad it is. So as, as CU football, as embarrassing as they've been for the last 20 years, CU basketball, before Tad Boyle got there, these were their tournament appearances. It was – so this is prior to Tad Boyle when they made it in 2012. They made it in 2002 with David Harrison. They made it in 1996-97 season with Chauncey, and they made it in 1969. Seriously, like that was that was how bad. That's how bad it was. So 
to go from that to to the point where we can expect to make a run to the turn, even the NIT, the fact that we can year after year be like, yeah, we're probably going to be an NIT type team. Every now and again, they'll slip further. Every now and again, they'll jump higher and they will be a, you know, say eight, nine seed in the tournament. And, you know, the last time that that did happen where, CU made that run in the Pac-12 tournament, and then Oregon State made the even more ridiculous run. And then we faced Georgetown and beat them. That was awesome, right? It was great. Yeah, sure, we didn't make a, a deep tournament run, which we all really wish that we did that year with the with the talent that we had. But we can't take that for granted. And I understand that now, especially in this era where we have Coach Prime, who has, has the opportunity to elevate a – severely underperforming team to new heights and maybe even bring us back to, to some level of success like we'd experienced before and discussed with on the football side. I'll never take Tad Boyle for granted. I'll never take Tad Boyle for granted. And I think he does have the opportunity in the next few years to do something really special with that highly rated recruiting class coming in next year to bolster the the recruiting class from last year, they're going to be upperclassmen when those younger guys come in, including Cody Williams, the five-star recruit. This is also, this is just an exciting era for both big money sports for CU. Uh, we'll see if uh, the women's basketball team can catch up, you know, to, to that as well. But in the, in the short term, there's a lot of reason to be hopeful and we're very lucky to have Tad Boyle. Yeah. And, and one other thing to add, I think another product of Tad Boyle that shows just how good of a coach he is, is the NBA talent that has come through Boulder during the Tad Boyle era. I just pulled it up here and it's, it's almost every year he's had a guy get drafted in the NBA, starting with Alec Burks in 2011, Andre Roberson, 2013, Spencer Dinwiddie, 2014, Derek White, 2017, George King, 2018, Tyler Bay, 2020, and Jabari Walker, 2022. And before that, there really was not a lot of NBA talent. So Alec Burks was in 2011. The guy before that, Freyas, you want to venture a guess? Do you have any guesses? Who made it to the NBA? Who got drafted before Alec Burks? Uh, David Harrison? Dude, you got it. You got it. 2004, yeah. David Harrison. So that's quite a gap from 2004 to 2011. And then before him, 2000, with quiet walls. Did I pronounce that right, Freyas? You got to keep me honest. Wow, I... I actually don't even know. <laughs> That's, <before our laughs> That's crazy. That shows you what Tad Boyle has done, right? Like we, we don't know yeah. these draft picks before Alec Burks. Yeah. It's just a, it, it is incredible. Yeah. And there, yeah, it's a really good point that we have had quite a bit of talent come through and there, there is, there is some guys who are G league, right? Like Tyler Bay and McKinley, Wright, Who might have their opportunity soon in, in the, in the big show. But guys like Spencer Dinwiddie are now mainstays that we should expect to see regularly make appearances on ESPN highlights and things of that nature. So that's a that's a really that's a that's a real blessing, right? We're, we're really lucky to have had that opportunity. So yeah. hopefully, guys like Cody Williams can add to that list. Right, Derek White too got a lot of fame during that Celtics playoff run. Andre Roberson on the Thunder. Uh, Alec Burks too. He's been a very, a very prominent NBA player. So a lot of big names. Taste, did you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I just think that the most, you know, as, as great as Tad has been, as far as getting people to the league, as far as, you know, developing the program and taking a program that was basically nothing to where it is now. 
I honestly think the best days for Tad Boyle's Buffaloes are ahead of us. And that's, what's the most exciting, right? He's had an incredible career and keep in mind, you know, as we mentioned, CU's only basketball relevance before Tad was essentially because Chauncey Phillips happened to be from Denver. Right. And then happened to choose to go to the university of Colorado. But other than him, you know, every good thing that's ever happened at the university of Colorado for basketball for the most part has been because of Tad Boyle. And he, it feels like he's just now really truly hitting his stride where he has his best recruiting classes coming in. You know, he's, he's been here for what seems like forever, but he's only 59 years old. He's still probably got, you know, fingers crossed, maybe 10 more. That might be a little optimistic, but let's say 10 more seasons. And and I'm really excited to see, you know, can he develop something where the person who comes in after him will be able to kind of take on the, you know, take on the torch and continue that going, but, you know, really exciting times. Um, Congratulations to him. And hopefully, you know, we're a young team right now. And part of that's because Jabari decided to go to the league, but, you know, hopefully they'll be able to make something out of this season as well. You know, I'm tired of saying next year and uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to pull something out this year as well. Yeah, for sure. And we, we hope to, cover more basketball as we get into conference play, hopefully on a, on a regular cadence here. Um, with that, we're going to jump into our draft segment. Chase, do you want to introduce this for us? Yeah, so today, um, and I, I happen to be selected for the first pick overall, um, but we're going to be drafting our favorite places um, on CU's campus. So that includes kind of Boulder as well. Um, naturally, as the first pick, you know, this is, this is a no-brainer, um, number one overall, no one, you know, expected this to fall down the board anywhere past number one. I'm going to go ahead and take fair and field. Um, this is absolutely the the best place on campus. Uh, you know, you've got the the mist over the flat irons at times. Um, you know, I used to be a tour guide for the school and that's the best place to do the entire tour. Uh, so it's, it's no doubt number one for me. With the second pick, I think I'm going to go with a wild card who I, I think has a, has a lot of potential I don't think it was on anybody else's board. I'm going to take Varsity Lake because you never you never know what you're going to see when you go to Varsity Lake. You could see a bunch of geese that could attack you. You could see a man with a sword. Yeah, you, I, don't you, think... I mean, you're certainly right. That was not on my board. So uh, probably a bit of a reach, but, you, you know, you got... people have to make their own drafts. Guys, I'm really going to give your scouting department a tough time because I don't really love those first two picks. You guys are going to leave a gem to me falling to the third overall pick. But I can't believe this is still on the board. I'm going to go with Folsom Field. Come on. Ah, that's a no-brainer. Ah, that was going to be mine. No-brainer. No-brainer. Uh, well, that's that stinks for me because you stole my you stole my, my sneaky pick there, Mr. Jake. So <laughs> for, for that, uh, I think that this is adjacent to Varsity Lake, but I'll take Norland Quad. I've had a lot of good memories out there. That's they also got a great view, got some big trees. It's also pretty large, so it kind of encompasses a lot, a lot of area on campus. So I think that that's that's my pick. That's solid. Um, you know, I I'm just gonna throw out there that at the beginning of this draft, I did say that the general Boulder vicinity was part of this draft as well. Um, you know, some people might say that this isn't a fair pick. Um, maybe too much of an all inclusive pick. Uh, go ahead and give me the hill with my uh, second round pick. You, I don't know. I'm gonna you can't just claim an area. I'm gonna you... throw a flag on that, Chase. I don't know if that counts. You can't just claim an area. I don't think you're that... gonna take the whole hill. I don't think you cannot. You cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that the hill is not unequivocally part of the university. Without the students, it's nothing. Um, you know, frankly, it's gone a little. You know, not to make a pun here, downhill lately with all the construction, all that kind of stuff going on. But I still think it's really great value. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and lock it down. 
that's we're not allowing that, are we? We'll you allow can't... it. We'll allow it this time. That's that's Chase. That that's a warning, mm. and then one more violation, you're going to be fined by the committee. Okay, I'm not going to just take a large, vague area of Boulder like Chase did. Um, I'm going to go for the C5C, the Williams Village Dining Center, but only on Donut Day. Oh, man. I don't don't know if there's any listeners that have been to the C5C on Donut Day, but, man, it is the happiest day of your life. You'll show up, probably hungover, probably need to study, and there's just – I think I've got like seven or eight donuts before there. You don't feel good after Donut Day, but, boy, do you sure feel good before Donut Day. Especially when they have the the glaze with the chocolate. Yeah, it's it's unmatched. And you can make your own waffles there. So you can create your own waffles. That's why that's why I came here. All right. For my pick, I'm going to go with CU's campus. Just kidding. <laughs> I feel like that's as broad as the hill. So I don't know. But I can't believe this wasn't chosen too, guys. I think I've won this draft in a landslide. And round one, I only have my round one pick in. But with my number two overall pick, I'm going to go with the Coors Event Center, front row of the student section specifically. That's not what it's called. That, that's not, that's what, not it's called. what it's called. That's not, that's the not CU what it's called. Event Center. The yeah, keg I'm going to go ahead and throw the a flag. The keg. <laughs> but yeah, no brainer. I've had such great memories in that building. And every time I'm there, it's a blast. Except I have had a couple tests in there. And I guess we won't count that. Yeah, the, the, I had that same thought too about having the tests at at CU Events Center. So that kind of does detract from it, but it doesn't it doesn't overlook the the memories of being on that court, especially you know after a Skia Booker's game winning three against Kansas it was pretty great. But for my pick, this is this is somewhat of a sleeper, but Fisk Planetarium, awesome spot. That's a good sure. Pick. That's sure. really That's a good value. I like that pick. Yeah, so sure you don't you don't get the flat irons view from inside, but you know what? Let's count let's count the area around and inside Fisk Planetarium. How about that? So you still get the flat iron view from outside, but then it's it's a planetarium, man. Who doesn't love a good old planetarium? I don't think I need to defend that. <coughs> Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with uh, my third round and final pick, um, I'm gonna take the entirety of Pearl Street. Uh, I'm just kidding. Before you guys get up in arms. Uh, but I am going to go ahead and take the downer. Uh, if it's not clear from my picks though, thus far, um, the academic side of the University of Colorado Boulder was not as important to my experience. Um, so go ahead and give me the downer. You cannot it, you cannot possibly try to say that that's not part of student life at CU Boulder. Um, and, and frankly, I think this draft might as well be over. Um, there's there's no doubt that I want it. I feel I feel like I I will admit that I've, I've made some mistakes through my first two rounds of picks. And I really need a third pick that's going to hit it out of the water. But, you know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of talent left in this draft. And I need someone that I can like kind of draft and stash, keep them playing in Europe for a couple of years. So I'm going to draft um, the future CU Boulder South Campus. Because uh, <laughs> who knows what it might be? Who knows? And it's just going to be mine. And I'm going to have people arguing what I should do on it. And I think, you know, it's a really captivating issue that, you know, I want to, I want to be, I want to be that person that, that, that people are talking to. I, That's I the want draft and stash. You just yeah, pulled a draft I'm, and stash draft, like in the I'm NBA. Drafting, draft, I'm drafting and stash in the CU South campus. <laughs> I love that. It's like offering a 13 year old. <laughs> um, For my pick, 
I'm really torn between my two, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out an honorary pick after Strayus goes because no chance he he picks this. So I'm gonna go with the pick that there's a chance he takes, but I don't think he's gonna go for it. I'm kind of surprised this is still on the board as well, but I'm gonna go with the roof of the UMC. Beautiful that's view. A great, that's a great, great pick. study area. It's one of those places that you don't know exists, and when you finally figure it out, your freshman year, you're like, I'm gonna show you this cool spot on campus. I bet you've never heard of it. And you take him to the roof of UMC. But yeah, I'm going to lock that in as my third pick. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good pick. I, I did have that on my board. I was thinking about that. Um, so I have a few different spots in mind for this one. So I'll throw out some of the ones that I'm not going to select. One is the very top of the, the physics tower, the Gamow Tower, where you yeah. can see the field, and that's where the security guards hang out. You know, that's a that, cool was, spot. that was getting a lot of smack talk on Twitter this week. Someone said, I think the intern for 247 said he wanted to tear down that building. And I fought back for Dwayne. Whoa! Man. Yeah, that's, the view oh, up man. there is phenomenal. I love that that's, spot. Uh, that's, that's not cool. I, 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 I These kids these days, I tell you what, they don't appreciate a good thing. Uh, but but there's a few other spots like that. A lot of these rooftop spots are great. But then yeah, my area. So this is this probably I would have definitely been able to get this undrafted. But I got to throw this out there, and this is my spot because back in the Folsom Frenzy days, when I wanted to post on Instagram or Twitter off of the official accounts and show a great picture of the campus panorama, I would go up to the seventh floor of the stairwell at the engineering center. A lot of people don't know that that even exists, but from the seventh floor of the stairwell, the engineering center, there is a big window and it overlooks the entirety of campus. You can see all of the, you know, the Tuscan roofing on the, in the engineering quad on Farrand, all of those dorms, all the way past Farrand field, the music building, you got the flat irons in front of you. You got the Indian peaks to the right. It is an amazing very unknown area of campus. And so I could have, I could have had that as my Philip Lindsay undrafted, you know, pro bowler, but I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta take that one since it's available. Yes. Reyes, I'll have to go ahead and say that since Jake and I were business students, there is a 0% chance that we were ever, ever able to navigate around the engineering building enough to actually find that window, let alone take it in anywhere. So I actually have, I have found that window. And it See? is great. Good pick. It's Good pretty pick. great. It's pretty great. Engineering Center is definitely a dungeon. You know, there's a Minotaur in there somewhere waiting to waiting to get you. So it's only a matter of time. All right. I have to share my honorary pick. I was maybe going to go with it, with this for my third overall pick, overall pick. But I'm going with this solely for the history. But the Sewell Hidden Room where the South Park creators developed South Park in the dungeons of Sewell. I think it's it, it was actually in the attic. But I went in there my sophomore year and I have a picture pulled up of a of a towel from the CU CSU football game. And meanwhile, I discovered this back in 2015. I wasn't the one to find the room, but I went into the room back in 2015 and this towel was from 2005. And the Sewell secret room was covered in signatures of a bunch of students that went to CU dating. I think the oldest date we saw was back in 2001. I'm going to go with that. But legend has it, the South Park creators created South Park in this room. But yeah, there's my honorary pick for you guys. But with that, I'm going to wrap this up. 
thank you for listening. We got a, another episode of the podcast coming out soon where we brought on a couple of guests to talk about our time in the student section that we're really excited about. So if you could subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter, Folsom Frenzy Pod. Uh, we follow recruiting news, football, basketball, all things CU. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. And yeah, listen in next week. All right, everyone. As Literally as soon as we finish recording the last episode, um, naturally, because it always had to be this way, the literal minute after we finished recording, Travis Hunter announced that he has, in fact, selected CU as the transfer. Obviously, throughout the episode, we we indicated that we were pretty confident that he'd come, but we didn't want to uh, get our hearts broken. But, you know, obviously incredibly exciting for the University of Colorado football. Um, he will end up being the number one recruit Colorado has ever had, obviously, as the number one recruit from the previous class. And an excellent addition as far as athlete, as far as morale booster, as far as hopefully other people will kind of take a look and see that those kinds of players coming and want to end up picking CU to begin with. But yeah, Jake, go ahead and just do our, our intro on that. Guys, we have the number one recruit in the country last year coming to CU. What if I told you that last year? Are you kidding me? Let's go buffs, baby. Travis Hunter is a buff. I am so pumped up, guys. This is huge. Huge, huge, huge. I just wanted to read this this little description on Travis Hunter that's on 247 Sports. Highly recommend that you go check out that website and Buff Stampede. Adam Mustertiger does a really good job there. So this quote's by Andrew Ivins, and this is coming out of high school, but I'm just going to read a couple sentences of what he said. And if you want to see the whole thing, uh, just look at his profile on 247. But Andrew notes, a generational type talent, legitimately CB1 and wide receiver one for the class of 2022, makes everything he does look extremely easy, smooth, explosive, competitive. At times, it seems like he's almost a human cheat code as he's always making the highlight reel at the right time. Guys, what are your reactions? We got a stud coming to Boulder. Blown away. Blown away. I know we just spent a lot of time talking about one skill guy not necessarily making a big difference, but this dude is a monster. He is an absolute monster. He's a total game changer on either side of the ball. If he plays both sides of the ball, he's a game changer on both sides sides of the ball. He's a he's a playmaker. He he has a chip on his shoulder. So if you guys watch the video of him making the commitment, he did reference that there were a lot of people that were talking down on him because he just, he chose to play in the FCS and they thought that he was taking the quote unquote easy way out against weak competition. So he has a chip on his shoulder too. If you can believe that, the number one overall recruit for the entire 21 2021 class has a chip on his shoulder coming to an underdog school. Wow. Sco buffs. I mean, it's crazy. Like he walks onto campus. He's the best offensive player. He's the best defensive player. Now, I mean, now I don't even know where you play him. Like, are you going to, he could play everywhere. Yeah. Carl Durrell would make him the punter. So we should be (laughs) glad he's not here. Right. And I think what really stuck out to me was how excited he was in his YouTube video. I don't, I don't know what I expected, um, but you know, just watching it, it, it wasn't super overproduced. It, it seemed incredibly authentic, but, but more importantly, he seemed actually genuinely excited to be coming to Colorado. He seemed excited to be reuniting with Deion Sanders. 
you know, obviously he could have picked literally any school in the country that he wanted to go to if, if Colorado wasn't the fit, but he's coming in excited. He's coming in ready to make plays. I mean, to your guys' point, he could play literally anywhere. He could probably play, he could play punter if he wanted to, right? Like he's that kind of athlete. Like they could put him literally anywhere. And so, you know, it, it wouldn't be completely surprising to me if they do end up lining him up a little bit at wide receiver, a little bit at at cornerback. I could see him playing a little bit in the wildcat. You know, it's it's one of those things where when you have a tool and, and if he wants to get the tape, you know, I wouldn't blame him if he wants to just go sit and play cornerback the entire time and he would be the best cornerback in, in the Pac-12, right? So incredibly exciting. Um, it, it, you know, it's one of those things that you don't even expect to happen to you. Um, frankly, this all feels like a fever dream and I wouldn't be surprised if I woke up tomorrow uh, but, you know, if you told me six months ago that we would have Deion Sanders and and the number one recruit in the country and all I had to do was hope that we went one and 11, I would have done it um, all over again. So we thank for Hunter, baby. We got that big, first round pick. Big brain, Rick, Rick George. Ultimate playing the long game, the really long doing. 20 year long game. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys are talking about his video um, when he announced the the commitment and that was kind of my first time getting to know Travis Hunter off the field and the kind of guy he is. Brandon Spano, the head of DNVR, posted, if you commit to CU, I'll give you your own show for, at DNVR. And that video, I loved every minute of it. His, his, he is showtime as well. He is like a little mini primetime. He's a captivating guy. He knows how to market himself. Before the commitment, he said, if I get 100,000 followers on YouTube, I'll release my commitment announcement. He, You could tell Dion has made a big impact on his life and shown him how to market himself. I mean, I think that's the, I think that's the next step for our podcast, honestly, is to start offering recruits like a guest spot on here if they recruit to call, if they come to Colorado. I think, you know, I feel like all of our listeners out there you know, we're all really passionate about the buffs and we want them to get the best players. And, like, you know, just being this giant podcast. I feel bad we didn't do that with Caden Proctor. I feel like he would have came. Yeah. We would have offered him a, a podcast slot. So that's yeah, a good so point. It's our, it's our fault, guys. Yeah. And uh, just to be clear, since we are muted, we are 100% kidding. In no world do we actually um, anticipate that. With that being said, uh, we're excited to announce the new Travis Hunter show in our next podcast series. So if you're listening to us, come out. We need you. And I just, you know, on, on a more serious note, I think something that is incredibly impressive, you know, ESPN tweeted out that Travis Hunter had selected Colorado from their main account, literally probably a minute or two minutes after he announced it, you know, the kind of coverage and, and eyeballs that Colorado's getting out of the Deion Sanders hire. I know we talked about it in our previous episode. I know it's been talked about at nauseum, but to talk about the kind of exposure you know, that's the kind of exposure that creates fans for life. That's the kind of exposure that creates applications to the university. That's the kind of exposure that creates brand value and equity. And so, you know, it's stuff like that, that who knows how we'll end up being next year. I'm, I'm starting to get optimistic. I'm starting to, to, you know, inject it into my veins, but you know, that kind of exposure is just so valuable to the university um, that it wasn't, what an exciting time and what a phenomenal hire. And not to mention the exposure once he makes it to the NFL. You know, Sunday night football, I'm really crossing my fingers that when he announces his school, he goes, Travis Hunter, Jackson State, and Colorado. That exposure alone is going to be phenomenal for the university. I mean, you saw these guys that were on the team in the 90s, early 2000s. Your Joel Klatz, um, your, your Jeremy Blooms. 
uh, who else? Cordell Stewart. They were instrumental in getting primed to see you. Travis Hunter is going to be that in 20 years from now when he has a long NFL career. This is so huge for CU. I cannot understate it. Because you just know he's going to say his, his middle school. It's the thing that we've come to expect, even in even in our times of glory, to expect sorrow and despair. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have just a ton of thoughts going on in my head right now. I am so pumped. But yeah, we had to jump on here just to do an emergency podcast. Travis Hunter is coming to see you, baby. Yeah, my hope is that this is this is a domino more than it is just a, a singular event. If it's a domino, and I know that we all should having Shadur Sand. Oh my goodness, this goes back to the, to everything that we were just talking about, right? Having a, having that quarterback that can take hits, rebuilding the offensive line through the portal instead of just through high school, and then finding offensive playmakers. Yeah, the entire other side of the ball is suspect. I get that. But maybe not so much if you if you if Travis Hunter's a two-way player, right? So, uh, but I understand the defensive line, linebacking linebacking core might still be a little bit suspect, but at the same time, if we're at least building one side of the ball into something dynamic, what are the other chips that are going to fall next? Who else is going to look at this opportunity and say, "Hmm, I want to play with Travis Hunter." I want to play with Shadur Sanders. I want to play in the Sean Lewis offense. Let's go to Boulder. And you have to think, you know, at this point, right, Kevin Coleman Jr. has got to be a lock, um, you know, not to get ahead of myself. I know he hasn't announced officially yet, but it's it's hard to believe that Travis Hunter and Shadur, you know, and and Prime coming to Colorado, that, that Coleman's not going to be the next. I, I got to so. jump in there. Don't jinx it, Chase. He posted today on Twitter an emoji of a door, and it said open right after that. So who knows? Who knows what will happen? We've got open doors on campus. I, I see him all the time. I think it's uh, alluring. Uh, <laughs> it's a sign. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we won't uh, we won't beat a dead horse, but we had to make sure that we included that in our in our podcast right before we ended up shipping it out. So incredibly exciting time. Travis Hunter to Boulder. Um, please enjoy all the the freezing cold takes that came out immediately um, when we were talking about how we weren't completely convinced that he was coming. But incredibly exciting times, and uh, we can't wait. Go Buffs. Go Buffs, baby. Go Buffs.